You're listening to the Punisher Waterfowls, the Union 0430 podcast. Brought to you by Real Geese Decoys, the most technological advanced silhouette decoys on the market. And Vortex Canada, the force of optics. Hey everybody, how's it going? Another week without the Mr. Damien. I don't know if he's ever coming back, but we will know soon. Uh, sure hope he does. Yeah, so do I. Because yeah. holy fuck, it's a lot of work. Dave's anyway, what's that? Dave's sweating bullets here. Yeah, this uh, hosting isn't my gig. Oh well. So this week, there's just the three of us. We've got Mr. Phil coming out of the schwa. Still, another couple of weeks. For a couple more weeks. And yeah. we've got Ryan Bro coming from uh, out east. Break off. Yeah. Break off. The most east coast thing you can say. Yeah. So rocking the space invader. There you go. A few things to talk about before we get into the episode. Number one, I don't know if anyone else saw it, but uh, just like Mr. Phil's shirt is, Ducklander Calls has released a Punisher Waterfowl limited edition call. It is on their website currently. You can check out oh. their Facebook. There's, yes, it's they're both going to be the ivory white look with the black Punisher label on them. Uh, one's the fuse and one's the loud timber, I believe. Yes, tone yeah. boards. Yeah, so both excellent. I have I don't have the fuse here, but I have the LT, and it's it's an awesome call. So um, if you're looking for a new call and you want that Punisher logo on it, check out Ducklander calls. It's a nice looking call. Not only do they look amazing, but they sound amazing, which oh, is my super, piece. super sexy. Yeah. The second thing I wanted to mention, uh, coming up, there's posters out now. Ducks Unlimited is doing a Waterfowl 101 seminar through Zoom. Um, the dates will be September 13th and September 20th. It uh, It's going to be something for everybody. There's going to be... A session on calling with uh, Rusty Heron, who's been on this show before. Great guy. He's going to teach uh, duck and goose calling. Um, we're going to have Jordan Stone coming from Sheetwater, uh, Sheetwater Kennels. Kennels, and he's going to be talking about dogs and dog training. And then us from here at Punisher are going to be doing a talk about uh, scouting and then another talk about decoys and decoy placement. Um, two big topics, and we're hoping to cover a lot of ground check out ducks unlimited Canada and uh, sign up for that boys with all that stuff out of the way early season's about to start. How's things looking your ways? Dismal. Dismal. Yeah. Cause with my move and the kids starting in a new school and schedules and this and that, I will be taking my kids to school every morning from my house up to Port Perry. And there goes my early season. She gone. She gone. Yeah. How about birds? Many birds up your way? Oh, there's a ton. Yeah. yeah. Like seeing seeing flocks nonstop. Like where I live, like I'm in like, you know, your typical uh, suburbia subdivision. And down the bottom of my street, there's actually two drainage ponds. <clears throat> or like the street runoff ponds, whatever you want to call them. There's one that's significantly larger than the one that's actually at the very bottom of my street. And like it'll hold regular season be nothing to see shit three four five hundred geese in there and i've been seeing like numbers slowly slowly creeping up you know every week you know a couple couple more here and there and 
they'll tour like right up. I could probably stand on my driveway and pop a limit. Neighbors might get pouty, but whatever. Yeah. Well, well numbers are starting to creep up. It's good. Good sight. I, I was gonna come on here tonight and be like, "There's not much up. We have uh, man-made ponds behind our house," and <laughs> I was gonna come on and be like, "There's." like a flock of five or 10 maybe in there right now. And normally by now we'd have way more than that. And then sure shit, before we started this up tonight, I go outside and I'm cleaning up the truck and I hear them coming off the lake and there's a flock, great big flock. So here's hoping that they come big numbers for us up here. So Ryan, what about you? When does your season start and how's the birds looking there? We open on the seventh. So a week from this coming Tuesday, which is, crazy when i say that we just hard to believe it, it it's here it always seems to sneak up on you um i've got a field like we're not the hottest flyway in the world for for geese but our early season year after year the goose population is slowly steadily climbing um we've got a cut grain field a massive cut grain field um it's got about 300 in it so they've been there in there for about two weeks now um the farmer is starting to pull the bales out of the field. So I'm kind of watching how that's going to disrupt them. But just two things to keep in mind this time of year for anybody who's listening, like early season one, they're generally, they're going to stick to their gray field. Um, so keep your eye on your, your wheats and your barleys and stuff like that. And two, um, they're flying with their young. So generally target your, your grain fields that are close to what are habitual roosts. Um, they're not going to fly fire. They're not going to fly over a mile. We're going to fly well within that. Um, so just kind of keep keep an eye out. Those are probably your 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 hot fields. So that's, that's the situation I got. I've got a big grain, big wide open grain field, probably three quarters of a mile from from a roost, and they're all packed in there. Probably three hundred uh, family groups, lots of family groups. So spread out all over the place. But we'll we'll deal with that come uh, come the morning of the seventh. So so with that, like when you set up your decoys in a field like that, do you kind of match what you've been seeing all these last couple of weeks? Like, or normally you talk about guys doing a great big U shape and having a ton of birds out there, but I've heard some people like they'll use little patches of family groups kind of. Yeah. You know. I, I kind of do that too, I guess. Like um, you're going to, I mean, it, they're, they're, they're the easiest decoying birds you're going to get all year. It's only going to get harder from here on in, but um, yeah, I do like to kind of like, I do a big mass around the blinds, depending if we're in layouts or, or if we're hunting back. And the plan is if the, if the bales are still there, we'll use the bales. We'll probably put an A-frame in between the bales or something like that. Or we'll put roll two bales tight together and put an A-frame in front of it. Um, and then we'll just kind of like, yeah, we'll put family groups out in front of us and just kind of make, a kill hole in the center and, and just hope for the best it's so you do what you think is going to work but uh at the end of the day they're the wild birds and they're going to do what they want so yeah yeah and those a-frames are just they're pretty key for having a good morning i find i i enjoy hunting out of an a-frame more than anything now the the versatility that they offer like in certain yeah. situations are just unreal i mean there's lots of different brands and makes and models and now there's way more in the market than say five, six years ago. Um, but I, I find myself using it or looking for situations to use it more because I enjoy it more. I've got a five-year-old son I'm going to take out this year with me. Like it's going to be fun for him. We, you know, it's big enough that 
we can cook a breakfast in the blind. Um, they're, they're a great tool to have. They're, they're a must have if you're going to get serious into it. Now, early season for uh, geese, when you're in a wheat field, how do you grass your blind in? Because I know some guys still like some guys even put just the raffia on their A-frames or whatever, or the fake grass just all the time. Other guys will try and like every single time they're out, they'll cut and, and put local vegetation. And how do you guys run it out where you are? Yeah. For, for a layup line, like it's, I'm, I'm looking at like, you know, look where the combine was, was loaded onto a, you find these little patches in the field where the combine was putting grain into a, a dump truck or something like that. You're going to find overspill, uh, look on the edges and like soft spots. Maybe the combine couldn't cut as well and just knock stuff or stuff got knocked over. Um, when you go through a grain field, when you see a grain field standing, still standing uncut in the late season. You'll see like patches will fall over. Like the heads get too big and it gets, they get saturated. They'll literally like fall over. Um, that's hard for the combine to pick up. It'll miss a lot of it. So when you find those patches, it's, it's literally like crop just laying there. So that stuff is, is good. And that's really useful when you're going to turn around and put it on your layout line. Yeah. And whenever new hunters come up to me and talk to me about like using an A-frame blind in a situation like a cornfield or a wheat field or anything, they're always like, how does this work? I don't understand. Like why I, they get the whole, like a, a layout blind where you're laying down, but for an A-frame, they don't understand. And I said, well, find a field with a great big ass rock or a great big tree in it or a tree stump. And then look, like when they go around with the, they're not going to try and cut a perfect circle like you would with your lawnmower. They're going to be efficient. They might lose a little bit of crop out of it, but they're going to be efficient. And there's going to be like standing grass or standing something there. Try to match that. Try to look at what that looks like. That's how I try to explain it to new people, but that's just me. I don't know. You guys might have some better um, thoughts. There's been many of fields that I've hunted in. Um, Like the birds are used to seeing clumps of vegetation. And there was actually one particular field. I think it was actually the very first field I ever got permission on like 15 something years ago. There was a wellhead in the middle of the field. Farmer would cut around it. And what would grow up just like nonsense, weeds, grass, whatever the hell was there. And there's been times where I've actually, because of wind direction, the, the field was like a long rectangle, north and south. And the, that wellhead was probably in like, say like the bottom third or so. And there was a time where we hunted that field and there was a raging south wind. I went and sat up in the wellhead and faced north. And we smashed limits. Mm-hmm. I was like, that wellhead's been there for umpteen years. It ain't going nowhere. That grass has been there for whatever, right? You, you use what's available. And there's been times where I've run, and like I learned this from a, another hunter guy I used to hunt with, where I would smack an A-frame in the center of like a wheat field full of grass, weeds, whatever the hell was around for vegetation. And Birds ate it up, didn't, didn't give two shits. We're crushing Canada's 10, 15 yards. Mm. You just spend the work, you brush it in properly, you get that, you know, the shooting hole covered up good. So there's not just that big black hole as the birds are flying over and they can look down like, hey, look, there's three hunters. And away we go. You know, you, you spend that extra couple minutes in the morning, you brush it up nice and tight and you'll shoot birds. And I've yet to see birds get right wiggy you know, know, being out there in like an A-frame or two panel blinds back to back, like they did not care. I mean, I, I pride myself on like, you know, taking the time, make sure we're good and hidden. Um, But Mark, who's not here tonight, 
takes it to a whole different level. Like he's like, he is in that same realm of like, make sure, you know, you're hidden well and, and every nook and cranny is covered. Plus he is, he has OCD and he's a perfectionist. So you, you put that package. Yeah. You put that package together and you got somebody who's very uh, specific and precise about everything they do. Um, and I've like, I've hunted with Mark a lot and I know how uh, meticulous he is about that stuff, but that pays big dividends like in, in the long run. Um, some people kind of want to bitch and moan about doing that kind of stuff, but it's, it, it, I mean, those, every one of those loopholes I've seen him go into Cabela's and be like, yeah, there's not enough, there's not enough, uh, not enough loops on that layout blind. That's not a good layout blind. And he's right. Like it's not, it's not enough to, to hide your blind. Right. So yeah. just stuff like that. He's, he's anal about it, but it's, it's, it, it matters for sure. And like and that, one thing I do, um, like I used to run an A-frame. I'm now transitioned to two panels. Uh, they got grassed up. Okay. When, when did I buy these things last year, year before, whenever I, whenever I got them and they got grassed up, they've stayed grassed up the whole time. So like they've got a reasonable amount of vegetation on them currently as they should like sit out in my shed. So get into early season. I'll leave that stuff on there. I may rip out a couple handfuls there here and there. And I'll add some fresh stuff that's still green. Cause like, as you get in September, things are starting to die, but there's still, you know, a good level of like green vegetation. I will mix that green stuff in with the dead stuff that's already there. You get a good color transition. It blends in well. And then obviously as time goes on through the season, that green stuff dies off. She's all brown, like everything else. And you know, you're good to go. Right. And then just as, as the season goes on, I'll add, you know, some pieces here and there, obviously for the top, you know, to cover the, cover the shooting lane, but like, they get grassed once fully and then that's it. Just, you know, add some pieces here and there as we go. And it's, it saves, saves work come, you know, when you're out there first thing in the morning, you know, you're scrambling, getting decoys set up this night. It's just one less element that you have to spend so much time on. That's, I forget what I was going to ask you because I was just bang on. Good little topic there, boys. Oh. <laughs> Good start. We, don't need, we don't need no noofs we don't need any noofs here yeah yeah exactly so when obviously you prefer the uh the a-frames now or the panel blinds now um do you do the the top bar on them to keep them together or do you have the two individual stakes which way do you go with that um i bought um the cross pieces from pat yep pat canadian waterfall supplies Yep. Um, for the, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess this would be my third season now with them. Um, so the first season I didn't have the crossbars and, you know, it was still good for like, you know, manipulating them, you know, like there's the bars that are inside that kind of drop down, which, you know, can be a bit of a pain trying to, you know, like you can shoot three comfortably. It's a bit of a pain trying to get a fourth in there because of those crossbars, like drop bars. Yeah, but like you know, it really helps with wind, and I say honestly, that's the one big advantage that the A-frame has over the panels is wind stability, because it's, it's one big unit, right? But like with the panels, um, I got those crossbars, and it really helps keeping them together. And, you know, adds some rigidity to them, and they're adjustable. So if you you want to space the the front panel and the back panel out a little further, you can, and like the bars snap in, they lock like the that little tension screw locks them out. You just have to be considered, you know, adding more cover across that top row to keep, you know, 
the top covered up. Yeah. But if you know, if you're lucky and or like in some situations, a dictate where you got to have them tight, you can snug them right up. You just got to be mindful of coming up and getting your barrel out in a safe direction, not hanging up on things. But mm-hmm. the versatility I find with the panels like is way better. Like I can run the two panels back to back as an A-frame or put them side by each in a fence row. If you have back covers, non-issue, then you can run six guys or seven guys. And then, you know, run a dog, run two dogs. Um, even um, some spots where I diver hunt from shore, run one panel right in front of you and just sit behind it and the birds eat it up. Yeah. So, so a lot, lot of, a lot of big benefits to the panels. The A-frame still, you know, still a solid option, but just, you know, for, for the things that I do, I would much rather run the two panels instead. Yeah. Now, when you are in a panel blind, how do you guys have your gun? Are you sitting there on your stool with your gun beside you or are you guys, do you put them across the top of the two blind? I, I rested on the crossbar, like the, like yeah, a, like the butt, butts on the ground. Yep. And then I'll put the barrel in the corner between the panel and that bar that's coming across my shoulder. Yeah. So when you pop up, you're coming up with your gun, right? Yeah. Barrel's already, barrel's already yay yay high up out of the blind to start with. Yeah. I like having positive control of my shotgun as I'm coming out. So I've got two hands on it. You know, I've got my finger indexed. I'm coming up out, standing up and I'm shouldering as I'm coming to my, you know, full, full foot. So. Yeah. Cause I hunted with a guy last year and he actually rested his gun across the two top bars and I spent. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong. I, yeah, I don't oh. think there's anything wrong with that. But yeah. I think it's not as you're not as quick. It's 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 safe. It's there's nothing wrong with it. But yeah. just to me, I, I want to get up and get up, get the gun out there and shoulder as fast as possible too. Sometimes I find like what I'll catch myself doing is like you know if the birds are coming and like you know they're going to eat it up like they're on their way, feet down into the kill hole, I'll actually pick the gun up and rest the butt on my knee and have the barrel sticking like they're not going to notice the barrel sticking up out of the grass because i got both my shotguns are, are camoed and they're a color that'll blend in with the grass and i'll actually hold the butt stock with the butt with the recoil pad on my knee yeah so as you're coming up like then that gun's already half out of the blind as opposed to you know the barrel just being a much right and it just as you're coming up as you're standing the gun's coming up already you get it into the shoulder you get your finger on the safety and then have at her give them the good news Yep. And that is a little bit of a uh, safety thing. Like I wanted to mention, like I, I can't count. Unfortunately, I can't count how many times I've seen it in an A-frame or a panel blind where when you are resting it against that frame, that top crossbar in front of you, make sure you've got control of it. Like if you have a cross beam coming over your shoulder, rest it in that, in that corner. Cause I can't count, unfortunately, how many times I've seen somebody lose control and the gun slides off the crossbar and falls down and then it hits the ground and it's pointing somebody's blind bag or somebody's ankle. So just be, be, be cognizant of that at least. Uh, make sure you're trying to maintain positive control. Uh, I, I call a lot, so like I'm always trying to find. I'm usually on the one of the outsides because of the dog or calling, so I always try to nest nestle it into a corner. So it's not as fast to get out of it, get or get it out of that, but it's safer. It's not going to fall down and slide, and you know my barrel's not going to be pointing at somebody's foot if the gun falls over. So muzzle integrity. Roger that. Okay. That's a so, Texas size 10 foreskin. What's that? That's a Texas size 10 foreskin. <laughs> yeah. So another thing that um, 
we do that's a little bit different. I don't know what you guys do, but if there's ever someone going out walking in front of the blinds or even just walking outside of the blind area, we actually have started doing where the you'll have your your shell sticking out perpendicular just in your barrel or in your chamber there perpendicular so like the guns up here and you've got it just out we started doing that back when we started taking a lot of youth out and first-time hunters and it just made it easy like okay guys get your guns that way and they'd all do it my kid does it now like and i you can see visually that 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 shell's in the way and it's not loaded and they're not ready it's an easy quick indication for everybody and it seems to be a lot safer in my mind but do you guys kind of do something along the same lines um for times where we're like in a a frame or panel just guns in the blind barrel up and obviously being like you know one that runs a dog on a non-stop basis regardless of who i'm hunting with whether it's first time guys or you know 15 20 year veterans guys the dog's out there doing his thing guns are down don't worry about cripples save your ammo that's why we bought fido so that little fucker can run out there and pick up birds because my days of chasing cripples are long over but yeah, like I'll tell you guys, like, you know, if you shoot birds, don't worry about shooting cripples. Just put your gun down, barrel up, just leave it. Or if we're doing a layout blind shoot and, you know, we're up and, you know, if whether we're, we're running a dog and we're still helping the dog to grab birds a little faster, or if we're not running a dog, guns go in the layout blind, barrel pointing out the pillow. So over your, you know, towards the back, yeah, as opposed to towards the kill hole, right? Like, like I, I've been... I've been unfortunate where um, I'll, I'll bring up the story actually. So a number of years ago, uh, was only into waterfowling a handful of years or so. And a buddy of mine who Ryan knows lives out his way now. Um, we're hunting up on Canal Lake, hunting a uh, shore blind that's been there for God knows how many years. So I've always been st- like stupid safety minded. My father has pounded the shit out of this into my thick skull since I could walk treat every gun as if it's loaded safety doesn't mean shit because safety's going to fail keep your thing keep your goddamn bugger hook off the boom lever right so we're in this blind it's like there's a couple sheets of plywood we're on fucking lawn chair sitting behind it guns laying up like sitting on the ground like same like you should be in like a panel or any frame butts on the ground barrel up against the wood and i would always just I hadn't even touched the gun for 20 minutes i'll reach down check the safety check the safety check the safety flock of birds come in and I think my buddy he jumped up and you know dropped one or two whatever the case is there may have been a cripple I grab my gun by the stock so like the trigger's facing me I grab the stock bring the gun towards me go to reach down and grab like the pistol grip and the gun went off and that barrel was like fuck 12 14 inches from my nose when it went off you want to talk about pucker factor my ass seized up tighter than a mouse's fucking sphincter in a windstorm. Like, let me tell you, Ryan's smiling, but uh, yeah, like that was a fucking eye opener and I was safe. Then I'm fucking 10 times safe now. Like, like you can never be too safe when it comes to a firearm. And I cannot stress that enough, whether you've been hunting two years or 40, you can never be too fucking safe. And, and that goes in with, if you are in your blind, if you're in an A-frame and there's no birds in sight and you look over and you see your buddy, his gun isn't on safe, tell him. And if you're the buddy and someone tells you, hey, bud, 
your gun isn't on safe. There's no birds around. What are you doing? Put it on safe. Don't be offended. Just own up to it because everyone is there to go home after the end of your hunt. So I remember the first time that that happened to me, like many years ago. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And then I thought about it. I'm like, no, like this is just everyone trying to be safe, trying to get home. He's looking out for you. He's looking out for him and everyone else there. So just be respectful and look out for each other. Right. And that's like another thing too. I'll tell guys like you're hunting with me. You're in my, you're in my equipment. You're in my blind with my decoys, you know, with shooting the A-frame or the panel, you come up, safety doesn't come off until that fucking gun's shouldered. I have a buddy who had, um, he had more than one safety infraction. Can't remember if they're in the same season or not, but they were relatively close together. And one will mess you up as an individual. It's, you know, no, thankfully both times, nobody, no one got hurt. Um, But two, it, it rattled, like it, it got him to the point where he was like, you know, he was just, he was getting excited. He was a newer hunter. Um, he was, you know, he just forgot the state of his weapon. Um, and, and shit happened. Um, nobody got hurt, but the second time it happened, it, it got him to the point where he's like, you know what, this isn't fun for me. And he debated about just selling everything he had, you know, and, uh, I, you know, obviously the paramount is you don't want somebody to get hurt. But I, the other side of me is like, I don't want to see anybody. This is supposed to be fun. We're supposed to enjoy a lot of this, like at this level of like, everybody on the podcast, this is our, our passion. This is like a lifestyle to us. I would hate to see one of the five of us commit something like that, where it got to the point where like, you know what? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to sell all this, you know, if it ever got to that point, I, oh man. It would suck. Like, so just be cognizant of, of the state of your shotgun, um, where your barrel's pointing. Like we've all seen accidents in the field. It's going to happen. Like it's inevitable, unfortunately, but like, like you guys said, like if you see somebody um, who has a safety still off or, you know, you see like a safety infraction or issue, don't be like, prevent that situation from, from happening. Cause you, you might save somebody's life. You might save somebody's hunting passion. You don't know, like, you don't know what's going to happen on the other side of it. So, so don't, don't be quiet about it. Like there's, there's no harm and foul. And if somebody, if somebody can't take that, if it's too much of an ego shot to them, well, that's, that's them. That's their yeah. problem. There's, um, the there's the, there's the parking lot. Start walking. Exactly. That, that's not, that's not, that's not a you issue. That's a them issue. So, um, yeah, it's it's the most important thing when we're out here, out here having fun. So, yeah, the angriest I've been lately in hunting was last year. I had a buddy up, him and his girlfriend, me and another guy. We're all out there. We set up really early because we had a big. It was going to be like a crappy day, so we put out a lot of decoys just to have that visual effect, right? Put out all these decoys. We're all set up. It's still pitch black. We've got a light on, and someone set up we're in a marsh area. They set up 50 or 60 yards right in front of us in our shooting lane. And it's like, Oh my God. Like what the hell? Like, I was a little upset people. You got to think safety, not only yours, but the other hunters that are there. Think of everybody. We all want to go home. Yep. So, right. But 
What are you thinking about bird numbers this year, guys? Uh, have you been listening to any of those like Delta reports or any of that? It, it's sounding like they're talking about a low year for bird numbers, but I haven't, but I have been hearing a lot of the drought in the prairies. Yeah. Um, so not good for nesting, obviously. So that's going to have an effect. Um, I can't remember what year it was. It wasn't that long ago. The, they had a real bad hatch of snow geese up north. And when the snow geese came through, there was like next to none juvies. It was just all like they didn't have. So it was pretty, pretty hard hunting. Like September felt a lot like um, April for those that have the conservation hunt when they come back up north. So hopefully they don't run into that this year. I don't know what like up north has been like, but yeah, I know out west they they're they're going through a grind right now with with the lack of water, and hopefully that's not affecting the farmers too much either. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh-huh. In fairness, a bad hatch year for the snows is not a bad thing. <laughs> that that's a good point like, too. Yeah. Like, the, like the devastation that they put on farmers' crops yeah. and stuff is just like like it's bad enough here with the Canada's out in my area. But yeah, like you, know, you get out west and to the some of the southern states, Missouri and Arkansas, like this. You'll get 200,000 snows in one field. Yeah. Just wipe it out. Like if they're running like winter wheat or something, two days, she gone. Tire crop. Where I guide out west in Saskatchewan, the common farming practice is swaths, the yeah. lay swaths. So you're literally like laying down money on the field. Yeah. And you here's have. A, here's a big strip of food for you. Right. Exactly. So you've got all these, you can get like 40,000 snows rolling in. And they just literally jump swath to swath to swath. It's, it's like an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet for us. Like, it's like going to just, Mandarin. Exactly. Welcome to the Mandarin. So Und, Undo your top belt, your, your top button and the belt, and away we go. Well, you're making me hungry right now. But, but yeah, that's, that's what it is. So they're, just, they're seeing the dollar signs just go and go by all these like white devils. So, yeah. I mean. Yeah. I think the report, I was trying to watch it before the episode tonight. Um, the fall one and mm. they were talking about North Dakota, South Dakota and, and the conditions there and, and how it's, it's shaping up to be a bit of a rough year. So let's, let's hope that's not true, but well, we worst see. case, worst, worst case scenario, I'll just go musky fishing this fall. Well, there you go. <laughs> yep. got, got myself a brand new custom bait yesterday. So I'm excited to try that out. There you go. Yeah. I may, I may actually sacrifice a day this fall. Like in October and go musky trolling, like some big water, try to break that 50 inch mark. Mm. We'll see. I bet Damien's going to be fucking spinning on Monday when he sees us talking about fishing on this show. Yeah. Yeah. We I love, you. We love you, Damien. Fishing. You fucking buys talk about fishing. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> being a coaster by, they live yeah. off the fish, eh? Hey? Yeah. yeah. Oh. He probably thinks you're jigging for musky. No, no. Trolling big, dirty crankbaits. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, any big changes to the flocks this year, boys, or to your uh, decoy spread? I mean, mm, gonna pick up some real geese. Mark, I don't know if I'll be able to. I don't know if I'll be allowed to put them out in the spread when Mark Vich comes comes east to hunt. But they they'll be in the uh, the arsenal. But they probably not much. I need a. I'm at the stage now where if I get any more, I need a trailer. So. But I like being, I kind of like not having a trailer, to be honest with you. I don't need a trailer. 
It's a, it's more of a want than a need. And for where what I hunt and where I'm at, you know, I'm not. I don't live in Western Canada. I live in on the East Coast, so I don't really Eastern need a trailer. Yeah, so yeah. I, I get by with what I I do. I do I do what I I do pretty well for for a guy without a trailer. So I'm I want two of those new bags from Craig. Those bags yeah. are sweet. Two. Those know, bags are sweet. Well, in fairness, as, as we sit here recording, there's a real geese bag hanging right there. Yeah. Now, like that's obviously that's more geared towards like uh, like the pro series and stuff, like with the wooden stakes. But I've I've made do and use that for like my shadows, where I can just grab a handful. I just pinch the stakes at the bottom, and then like like I didn't pack this bag on the last hunt. Someone else did, so all the stakes are fucking pointing up. But you can see, you know, there we go. That's better. You can see the hole there where the wooden stakes go down. I'll just grab a handful of decoys, pinch the stakes together. And down they go and it works just fine i have a couple of farmers who are like down. i have a couple of farmers who are like strict no no trucks rule and because they have like irrigation down or whatever and uh so just the thought of like you know rolling in with you know five six dozen of silos in a bag right now it's just like oh, just yeah makes my heart flutter so yeah like my only issue is like the wheat fields where you got to do a walk-in mm. and that's where the side like I, I like i got silos in three bags and usually there's like three or four of us everyone just grab a bag start walking go 200 yards that way yeah so it, it's definitely a different feeling like when you're we had one of those fields back when we only had full bodies this is going back three or four years ago and it was just me and my one buddy and the farm this was the field that you had to go to and but the farmer said don't drive in it so we parked on the side road and you had to walk the 200 yards in, but you're like looping the Bigfoots like on your shoulder and you're only getting six at a time every trip. Mm-hmm. Right. So multiple trips and it, it, you take one bag, like what's behind Phil there and it holds five dozen silhouettes on one shoulder an a frame on the other shoulder or your panel blind on the other shoulder, whatever. And you can walk in, go back, move the truck wherever you're going to park it out of the way, grab your gun and your decoy bag and your uh, blind bag, walk back and you're ready. Like that's all you need. So sleds. It's yep. so I was just going to say, I have an ice fishing sled right there. I don't ice fish. I use it for waterfowling yeah. and you don't need snow on the ground. Like a wheat field, that thing will go just as well across a cut wheat field as it will a, a snowy yeah. field. So yeah, I forgot but about I- my... I I've got a monster, sled. a monster. I think it was made by Rapala. And yeah, it's like a monster sled. Um, like it's probably twice the size of that standard like jet sled that it, a lot of guys use. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you can pile a shit ton of gear in it, and she'll slide like like butter across stuff. So now that you mention it, my sled actually uh, last year, my loving darling wife, uh, she got into gardening last year. And uh, I came home one day and she's like, oh, that, that black tub thing you had back there, that was perfect for the tomato garden. What do you mean? So I go back there and it's just full of fucking dirt and tomato plants. So uh, love her to death, but don't touch my fucking sled. So cutest, cutest pot, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Good thing. She's pretty good thing. Yeah. (laughs) No, no. So I uh, I actually just ordered some more real geese. Got another five dozen coming. 
And maybe we'll uh we talked about maybe some more giveaways coming up. Do you think oh yeah, I think maybe in the next episode or two we're gonna start doing a giveaway, but you'll kind of have to start listening to this uh podcast to get them. And we might give some hints on that real geese decoys fan page. So if you're not subscribed to that real geese decoys fan page, get subscribed because you can't win if you're not a part of that for one of these events. I'm just get her throwing powder, it out get at her. Yeah, the other thing I want to say is uh Craig also talked about those decoy bags that they're making and gave an update today. And I think they might start doing a pre-order on them. Mm-hmm. So if yes. you want to ensure you get one as soon as they're ready or get in on that pre-order, that's just trying to help you guys out. I must admit, Dave, you do a far better job at like teeing stuff up like this than Damien does. And just speaking English in general. English is a key factor in all this as well. My my problem is, is that my ADD, I start like like that last episode when we're talking about California and the border. And I was thinking about Mexico, but I said Texas. And I'm like, whatever, same shit. Who fucking yeah. cares? Yeah. They both have fucking hot. It's hot. Jesus. Yeah. So it's true. It's all the same. <laughs> yeah. No. So yeah, I ordered, I just ordered another, that'll be 10 dozen silhouettes and that'll be all we use. But with the kids, it's just way easier going that way. Are you way. straight silos now? I'm straight silos, nothing else. Yeah. Um, cool. And I even I even reduced my uh, floater spread for my um, for the boat and the kayaks. I actually went to full lifetimes. I'm going to have three dozen of them uh, and a dozen uh-huh. Higdon battleships, and that's it. So yeah. hmm. I'm also switching to uh, the Mojo Stakes. I'm going to use the stakes for the field. And then I got those, uh, the floating base ones. I got one of those for Christmas. Very nice. Um, I don't know. See how that works. I'll never not have full bodies. I just love them. Like, I just think, I think they appease me more than they actually appease the, the wild birds. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I, just, actually, I, I actually have a dozen, a dozen greenhead gear full bodies. <sighs> Those are my all-time favorites. That I ordered from Rogers, like, mm. she a long time ago. I was still living mm. at home, I think, when I got those. So, she, like, she'd be 12, 15 years ago. I ordered that dozen from Rogers. Still got them. Can't give them up. Yeah. I could probably, like, I've had those for, like, close to 15 years. I could probably sell those for more than what I paid for. Yeah. used. Yeah. But I won't. A long time ago, my girlfriend, one, one of my girlfriends once bought me a dozen green headgear um full bodies like out of the blue and she's now my wife so I'm just saying god bought her it's, it's yeah. not always through the stomach to the heart yeah. just put throwing it out there an engagement decoy <laughs> engagement decoy <laughs> i under tell her that when i go back in the house yeah. yeah yeah that's good no so philly any big changes with your spread this year other than getting those five dozen how about your how about your floaters uh Nothing's changing for water. No. Um, still got like my whole pile of Dixies there for, for running the divers. And I got like my, my mixed stuff. Um, and was, you know, some, some other brands for, uh, for colors and whatnot. Yeah. But um, yeah, water spread, nothing's changing. Um, running a new dog. If he's mm. lucky. <laughs> if he's I, lucky. I do got to say, I think I owe you a big thank you for getting me into those Dixies because 
my daughter was kind of like, Oh, hunting's neat. And I'll go with you, whatever. And then I ordered that dozen pack. I think I got a dozen bluebills and uh, a three pack of canvas backs. Yeah. And her and I sat there for like a week straight, just painting and okay, we'll paint this part and then we'll let it dry. And then we'll paint over it with the black and then we'll paint over. And we spent that all that time. And then she's like, okay, when are we going to hunt with them? And it's like, Oh, so I think that kind of got her interested in hunting the, the ducks. Nice. So it was right after that, that she went and got her hunting license. And so that's yeah. a fun, if anyone's looking for a fun project, look up those Dixie decoys, they show up. What I did personally was you, you clean off, like you degree de wax them basically just personally what I did. And then you paint over them with your white, your black, if you want to do a Toronto Maple Leaf themed one for your man cave, you can paint it however the hell you want, yeah. but you can also yeah, let the, the kids round. paint it, right? So, yeah, that's just it. Like, you'll get one flock and then you're done. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah like, um, I, Phil, are you are you? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, like, like just stand like with the painting. Like when I was painting my five dozen that I've got, like I had them laid out in the basement, and I like wife and kids would go to bed. I would go downstairs for an hour or two, pour myself a little sippy sippy of something yummy. And yeah, I would do a coat of this next night, you know, the second coat night after. Okay. Now we're doing like, you know, like the bluebells and the reds and stuff, doing the black for the tail and the breast. And you know, like, you know, it's just, you chip away at slowly and you know, like the whole flock comes to life. And next thing you're done and you're ready to fly. Right. So to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got a new dog this year. Yeah. Like unfortunately. I do. Right. Yeah, well, two years ago. Well, first first season though this year, first fall. Yeah, if if he's lucky. If he's lucky, yeah. So yeah, I might still be running the old boy. Yeah. Hey, wow. Yeah. He's, he's still good. nine and a half years old. That old boy, he's still fucking pissing vinegar. So that kind of brings me to another topic. Um, a guy, an experienced guy in my 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 uh, hunt dog club um had an 18 month old dog on him pass away this week uh, we didn't i forgot to tell you guys before we went on record um from a heat injury so really like for a lot of people who don't like the, and this guy is an experienced guy so he's got more experience than i do um so if you do if you're unexperienced and you you know now is this is the most dangerous time of the year because especially in my neck of the woods it, it's probably the the peak of the heat season uh, i've got a young dog she's 13 months right now so she's never had a hunting season um it's very enticing that you want to train them and get them prepped for the season that's upcoming but you gotta respect the climate and the heat that you're in and that's what happened unfortunately to him he lost his dog um well, this particular dog, he's got multiple. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know the details of it, but he did do a post today. I, I remember it happened. Uh, what are we today? We're Thursday today. I think it happened on Sunday or Saturday, and then he re he posted today that it was indeed a heat injury. So obviously, he feels pretty bad about it. But just gonna make sure you you don't get jumped the gun. And, you know. If you're going to do dry land stuff, pick pick a cool night or get up early in the morning. Do one of the temperatures respectable. Um, you know, keep it short. 
Keep it short. Exactly. Like, you know, if, if it is going to be a warm evening, maybe do some water training. Yeah. And again, like, like, like Phil said, keep it short. <laughs> but yeah. So if you're eager to get out and train, go early morning, late evening and do water. Yeah. You're not going to like, I'm not, I'm not going to say like, knock on wall, like I'm not going to say like, you're not going to cause any damage, but like, do water, especially this time of the year. If you've got some good training water or you're just, you know, touching up on, you know, some simple marks, simple blinds, whatever, water is your friend. Because they get dogs get into that water, it'll keep them cool. You know, you can run just it's obviously better if you're running multiple dogs. If it's you and your you know, you and your few friends, or if you yourself are running two, three, four dogs, you can cycle them through, do you know, two, two sets or whatever drill you're running. Be sure you're running fans in your kennels and towel your dog off. I've got, like, I've got a handler's bag. I think it's back there behind my noggin somewhere. I carry like, um, it's almost like a synthetic chamois. And even um, when I was running the Luther hunt test there a few weeks ago, like when Zeus came out and I was going to put him back in the kennel and I even run a, I had a fan going in the kennel before he goes back inside, I take that chamois and I'll dry him off as the best I can. Cause that water will soak into the fur and it'll get hot and then they'll get hot. And next, thing you know, your dog's in distress or worst case scenario, your dog's done. So cycle your dogs through, take it easy on them, tile them off, do whatever you can park your truck in the shade. If, it, if it's feasible where you're training, run fans, whatever you can do, but like, don't push it. You know, it's a marathon, not a fucking race. That's right. So do you guys, do you guys have like a, a dog first aid kit or anything for when you are hunting or her? What do you do guys have, do? I do have stuff um, in my handler's bag. Like when I'm training or competing, the handler's bag comes with me because it's got like my white jacket, my camo jacket, my whistles, duck calls and other shit. But one of the biggest things I carry on top of a tick pen is a bottle of rubbing alcohol. If your dog overheats, dump that rubbing alcohol into their armpits or into their groin and it'll pull a lot of the heat out of their body and it'll bring their temperature back down. A lot of people don't know that. Another thing too is if your dog ingests something and it shouldn't have, mustard. Dogs will vomit if they ingest mustard. It won't kill them. It'll just make them fucking puke. But if your dog's ingested something that they shouldn't have, like little condiment mustard pockets into the fucking mouth they go and they'll yak i haven't mm-hmm. tested that theory i've been fortunate so i've been told that they'll vomit off of mustard hmm. never heard that one before yeah. yeah what about um for like if they step on something and cut their foot open do you do you bring like a rat pad or anything for that i don't have like a full like regular first aid kit i do have a first aid kit in my boat in the case something happens, like obviously for you know a hunter injury, but there's often saying like you know you couldn't Jimmy rig something to work for the dog and get them you know to to a proper vet for care. But like mm. in the field, if you know shit were to go south, leave the decoys and just walk. Yep. Get the dog in the truck, start driving. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It shit can go wrong like super easily. Like Damien, like Lander had, can't remember how many stitches, but went through a barbed wire fence. Caught her, you know, good for X amount of stitches. Um, oh, God. Perry, we had Perry Blanky on. His dog literally just doing like a standard retrieve, 
and he tore his something in his knee. I can't remember. It might've been his ACL um, season done. Like it, it happens. Like, so, I mean, hopefully, you know, when, when you're bringing a dog out to the field, that's, that's an additional person on the hunt, you know, stuff can go wrong that you would normally not think of. So there's nothing wrong to prepare with that. Like, and you, you just ask a question, David, no, I don't have anything for, for my dog, but I, I should like hundred yeah. percent. I've seen, I've seen Thor go through a barbed wire fence. Cause there's sure as shit ain't nothing stopping that goddamn dog for chasing a bird down, but he had a vest on. Yeah. And like, I can look back at that vest and I, I said, I'm still running the same vest, you know, that I bought like when he was a pop. And yeah, it's got tear marks in and I look down and I can see it like, yep, that vest saved his ass, saved his hide from that barbed wire fence that day. Cause like the drive of that dog, like you ain't going to stop him. He's going for a bird. He's chasing a cripple. He ain't going to slow him down. So then they're going to go. Yeah. So, you know, like even just a simple, you know, fin neoprene vest, uh, like during field hunts, whatever can, you know, save you thousands. You spend 80 bucks. Save you eight hundred. Yep. Yep. Well, boys, I think we're at an hour. It's now eight o'clock. I guess we started late, didn't we? Whatever. Doesn't matter. That was another good informative episode, and I enjoy Every spending this time with you, boys. Is a good episode. Every yeah. Yep. It, it helps when it helps when everybody on the episode can speak English. <laughs> yes. He's gonna come back and just fucking throw a fit. I, miss him. I hope so. It's good. It's good for entertainment value. We, I hope he does. He's gonna swear in new finis and we won't understand a fucking yeah. word. Oh fine. So for all those people that don't know, Damien has actually been back at his home with the his family visiting. Motherland. His motherland. So my family's all from Scotland. And when my mom would go back to Scotland and visit her family there, when she would come home, her accent would be so goddamn thick. And she doesn't have an accent normally because she was, I don't know how next week's episode is going to be, but we might not understand a word and that'd be great. I think we need to do an episode where it's just Mark and Damien because either it's going to be like three people or 3000. Like there'll be no, it's going to be amazing or not. Like there'll be, there's no way around it. Yeah. That'd be good. But no, thanks a lot, boys. We will pick this up again for everybody that didn't hear those hints make sure you are listening or subscribe to the facebook group real geese decoys fan page that's the biggest excuse me biggest advice i can give you right now as always surround yourself with good people thanks a lot before we close out oh yeah yeah before we close out i'd like to give a big shout out to our favorite fan jeff Coates today Mm. well i guess so show's getting released monday so if it's Monday, like five days ago, you fucking get the picture. But shout out to Jeff. Posted a video today. He's front in the Punisher Waterfowl podcast on his phone. He's in the shop carving decoys. God bless that man. Yeah. And yeah. He, he keeps talking to us about getting down and hunting. But until we know about this border, we can't confirm that. And it's getting frustrating because I want to get Oof. down there. I want to shake that man's hand because he has just, been a huge supporter. I just want to drink for a duck. And feels like a 2022 option. Yeah, I think that's. I think a lot of our plans that we had for this fall are going to be 2022, and yeah, and hopefully by then the borders open. But you never know. So, 
like I said, surround yourself with good people. We will catch you guys again.